0: The Dying of the Light, from Flashbangs and Frag Grenades, by Chexis. read by Sam Gabriel, based on League of Legends, by Riot Games. Chapter Six Get off of me! Katerina fell through the shadows and reappeared in a drunken stagger a meter away from Vi and her worthless scribe. Her head was ringing and she tasted blood. Why couldn't she focus? Why... Hey! A fist closed around her arm and pulled her back. You insane, lady? That, Katerina gasped out, pointing at the manse, is my home, and I will not let her demolish it. Vi gave her a look of rank disbelief and said, Yeah, what are you going to do? Bleed on her and die? What? Stepping back, she gestured down and Katerina followed the angle of her hand to where a piece of black metal from the carriage, the size of a dagger, was lodged between her ribs. Funny, she didn't even feel it. Oh, no, now she was feeling it. Fuck! Katerina's legs buckled as the pain struck her across the head all at once, and she resisted the animal urge to pull the metal spur free. Not only would a jagged piece of steel like that just cause more damage on the way out— It was probably the only thing keeping her from bleeding to death. Plus, from the difficulty she was having breathing, Katerina grimly suspected that she might have punctured a lung. Vi, damn her, was surprisingly gentle with picking her up and moving her off to the side near a wall, well away from the burning wreckage of the carriage and the mansion, where gunfire and screams were coming from. Jinx was on a rampage. Go, Katerina said, waving her off. Get out of here and take those... Damn engineers with you. You need I need you to get that psychopath out of my house! Katerina spat out, flecking her lips with blood. Although that might have been a tall order, Matilda seemed to be the only one who got out of that explosion unscathed thanks to her master. Vi was bleeding from a dozen small wounds, but her gauntlets had taken the brunt of the explosion even before her shield had come up, leaving the metal frames pitted and scarred with fragments from the carriage and their owner favoring her left side. East wing, right? Vi repeated. Any other directions to get to those skiffs? Katerina slumped back, then pulled the ring from her finger and held it out to Vi. If she left any servants alive, give them this and tell them the daughter of Coteau demands them to help you and they'll obey. Okay. She took the ring, but before she could pull back, Katerina grabbed her wrist and pulled her closer. This stinks of conspiracy, she hissed. But right now, all I care about is getting her gone. I don't know about conspiracy, but I'll do my best, so don't die, lady, okay? I said. Katerina snorted and waved her off. She didn't have the energy to speak anymore. She'd been wounded badly before, but this was different. The explosion, the metal... She needed to save her breath and her strength. Something had gone very wrong inside of her. Standing, Vi gave her a curt nod, then bolted away with Matilda in tow. How odd. Katerina couldn't say if it was the delirium setting in or not, but for some reason the girl suddenly seemed familiar. Her thoughts were scattered, though, and she couldn't lay a finger on them for more than a few moments. Leaning back against the wall that Vi had laid her against, Katerina looked up, and her eyes widened. A single, red eyed raven was staring down at her. You, Katerina whispered through bloody lips. Was this you? Again? How much more must you take from my house? The raven was silent, and it watched her for a moment more before taking off towards the interior of the manse. Katerina bit her lip and closed her fingers around one of her daggers. Damn them all. Their cloak-and-dagger bullshit was going to destroy Noxus before a single enemy ever breached its walls. Were all Noxian buildings this convoluted? Jinx could only imagine that they were built like this on purpose to confuse invaders. It was the only reason she could think of to make all the hallways loop around on themselves like they did. She sent a hail of fire down a hall as a pair of black-armored guards rounded the corner with their shields raised. Not that the shields, nor the armor, did them any good. That was sort of the point of armor-piercing rounds, after all. Still, this was getting ridiculous. The plan had a lot of bits and bobs ticking away to make it work, and none of them involved her getting lost in Red's house because it was too damn big. Blowing a raspberry, Jinx sagged, then cocked her head and listened for... There. Pitter-patter, harsh breathing and muttered prayers, all too familiar noises. She stomped down the hall and kicked open the next door on her right. The praying stopped, the breathing didn't. Jinx smiled as she did a short circuit around the room. She didn't have time to play hide-and-go-seek, but it was still fun to pretend. Just as she walked past the towering clothes cupboard, armoire or something, she heard the breathing hitch. Whipping around, she tore the door open. A young man with dark hair and pale skin, wearing a scorched servant's tunic and trousers, screamed as he pinned himself against the back of the armoire in a futile attempt to put distance between them. Hiya! Jinx leaned in pulled pulled Zapper out to shove under the man's nose. So I got a problem, she said. I need to get upstairs to some east wing skiff bay and I'm kind of lost. You following me, Chuck? Ch- Chuck, he stammered. Yeah, Chuck, that's you, Jinx said. He swallowed thickly. My name is- Chuck. Jinx pressed Zapper's barrel painfully against the side of his face. It's Chuck. It's Chuck he agreed hollowly. Jinx nodded graciously as she pulled back on Zapper. That's so. Now, Chuck, buddy, I'm lost, and you're gonna get me unlost, okay? Skiff Bay, upstairs, let's boogie. If I help you, Chuck moaned, then they'll kill me. Maybe, Jinx agreed, but that's a problem for future Chuck, she said as she raised Pow Pow with one arm and held up Zapper in the opposite hand. Present Chuck has a whole different set of problems that kind of make future Chuck's problems a non-issue until they get resolved, okay? Another audible swallow. Okay. Okay, so let's go to the skiff bay. Jinx nodded for him to follow, and we better get there quick, Chuck, old pal, because um, otherwise I'm going to attach three of these, she gestured to the choppers, hanging from the inside of her jacket, to your gibblies and then throw you out a window. Gibblies? he echoed dully. I'll let you fill in the blanks, Jinx replied. Now come on, we will get a skiff to catch. I really like that word skiff. Say it with me, Chuck. Skiff, Chuck sobbed. Skiff. Jinx moved quickly through the manse, which was in an agreeable sort of chaos, and Chuck followed behind her. She liked this much better than all the metal words and noises that normally filled a place like Noxus. It was so much more lively this way. Well, not for long, but it was nice while it lasted. With all of the chaos, the guards of the manse were left in disarray. Half of them seemed to think the whole city was under siege, while the rest were under the impression that the mansion was being invaded. Either way, they were all running pell-mell around, and because of the idiotic way the house was built, that tended to involve them running face first into a wall made of bullets, which, while funny, did make progress a little stilted. Still, Chuck did his job and led her through the various hallways, sometimes passing through rooms filled with paintings or sculptures or other artsy things that people with too much money with their brains ought to be like to collect and litter their houses with. Jinx made a point of playing target practice with Zapper as she passed them, burning holes where faces ought to be and blowing apart stuff that looked like it was probably really expensive. Why it was that expensive, Jinx had no idea. It wasn't like he could actually do anything but look at it. Lux collected books. That made sense. You could read books. You could learn from books. You couldn't learn from a solid gold statue of some dead guy. But then Lux was a lot smarter than anyone else, so the comparison probably wasn't fair. Hey, Chuck, you married? Jinx asked suddenly. What? Chuck looked up at her in confusion and maybe a little terror. No, why? Jinx shrugged. You should get married. It's pretty great. My wife is the best thing that ever happened to me. Prettiest girl in the world, too. Oh, um, that's nice, Chuck replied cautiously. Because I found her again, see? Jinx continued as they ascended a set of stairs. Because this is all a dream, she gestured around them. And in every single dream, I always find her, or she finds me. Either way, we find each other. And then we fall in love and get married, and then, and then we die, and we do it again. I wonder if everyone has someone like that. I, I, don't, I don't think I do, Chuck said weakly. I've never been very lucky in love. Jinx laughed, holstered zapper, and moved back to sling an arm over Chuck's shoulders. He looked even more terrified that she was touching him. Don't say that, Chuck. I'm sure there's some lady or guy or, I don't know, whatever, out there just waiting for you. You're a catch. She slapped him on the back and grinned, and he actually smiled back, although it was a halting thing. You think so? He asked as they made it up into a large circular room held up with six pillars that had various weapons hanging from them and was filled with sleek leather flight suits and other ancillary gear. I know so, Jinx said firmly. Now, uh, hold that thought. She planted a boot in Chuck's gut and kicked him away as she rolled back in the opposite direction as the ground beneath them suddenly erupted in a burst of acid. The stone steps they had been standing on moments ago hissed and pitted and the wood paneling around it blackened and melted into an organic slurry as a lightning-quick shadow swithered out of the stairwell where it had been following them and into the hangar bay prep room. Getting to her feet, Jinx panned Pow-Pow around the room, waiting and watching for any sign of movement. "'Hey, Chuck!' she called. "'You mind getting the skiff ready?' I'll "'Only be a minute.' Across the room, Chuck was coughing up blood as he sat up, cradling his stomach and what were probably a few busted ribs— He gave her a quick nod and started to scramble towards the exit at the other end of the room. The moment he moved, something in the shadows of the ceiling near one of the pillars moved with him, and Jinx grinned as she lit it up. Ceiling tiles exploded around the shape as Jinx's hail of gunfire shredded through the wood facade of the pillar and into the stone underneath, forcing the shape to abandon its attack on Chuck, An acrid scent filled Jinx's nose without warning, and on instinct, she kicked off and rolled away the instant before another noxious blast of acid exploded from underneath her feet. Blast after blast after blast detonated beneath her as she ran, and she laughed all the while as she peppered the ceiling with haphazard shots. The floor was turning into a mass of half-melted potholes, and Jinx skipped joyfully around them, spitting through the air as she shredded everything in sight. Then they stopped. It was brief, but Jinx heard the deep intake of breath just as she landed, and it was all she needed to zero in. Pulling fishbones up and over her shoulder, Jinx snapped onto her target and pulled the trigger, firing a rocket with a chemtech payload straight up just as the room was filled with a wild spray of venomous purple mist. It didn't matter. A shriek accompanied a deafening explosion as her rocket tore a hole in the weakened ceiling, dropping her target as well as the contents of the room above them down onto the floor. Another sharp intake of breath came, but this one was different, and Jinx's instincts screamed klaxons in her brain. She tucked and rolled away, ignoring the searing burn of the toxins on her skin as a blast of noisome green light tore through the room. It scorched her like fire and acid at the same time— and for a moment it felt like her whole body was seizing up. Then the moment passed as Jinx got her feet under her, and she was back up and running. "'You wretch!' a sharp, cultured voice spat. "'You're already dead! My poison has already sunk its fangs into you!' "'Guess I better take you with me, huh?' Jinx crowed as she came rolling out of the smoke and poison mist with pow-pow up and firing. The thing was beautiful, as it was monstrous, and saying something was monstrous was impressive for a Zahnite. Especially Jinx, considering that she used to hang out with Mundo—well, hang out, as in dodging his cleavers while he tried to practice medicine on her. The eyes that were fixed on Jinx were a slitted, viperous yellow, and her bare skin seemed almost golden if you didn't look too closely. But it had a nauseatingly squamous texture to it if you did— She wore an ornate emerald and gold headdress, and from the waist up she was almost naked. Jinx might have even considered the woman to be her type if she weren't already married, and also didn't mind that the rest of the woman was entirely made of snake. She spat several bony spurs that looked almost like fangs at Jinx, who caught them on Pow Pow's chassis. Stay still! She snarled as she twisted her fingers in a grasping motion, and Jinx rolled away as another blast of acid exploded beneath where she'd been standing. Jinx put another fusillade of shots range, sending the serpentine woman slithering away, spitting those fangs at her as she did. Most of them went wide. The rest she deflected off of pow-pow or fishbones, but one pair of them slipped past and buried themselves in Jinx's arm, her metal arm, and suppressing a grin, Jinx rolled back in a wild stagger as the acid venom began to burn away at the leather of her father's coat. That was the part she was really mad about. With a triumphant cry, the monster surged out of the shadows and lunged at her, and Jinx stumbled back again, bringing her right arm up between them, Even with her numbness, she felt those fangs punch through the skin and bite deep into the muscle. She felt venom pour from them into her veins, pushing the blood out of the way while the monster bore her down to the ground with a look of ecstatic, murderous pride. That look was broken as she winced in pain and pulled back from Jinx's arm, with blood dripping from her lips. (sighs) What? She staggered and flinched again as she spat out a mouthful of Jinx's blood. What is that? Smiling, Jinx stood and looked down at her arm, flexing her fingers as her abnormal biology latched onto the venom that had been pumped into her, twisting it and eating it and making it all shimmer just like it had to the poison earlier. At the same time, Snake Lady was thrashing and clawing at her face. Purple veins were crawling along the edges of her lips and cheeks. She hacked and coughed, spitting up blood and bile as she tried to ratch up what had gotten inside of her— Whatever it was, it wasn't playing nice with whatever else was in there. Hey, you know the difference between venom and poison, right? Jinx said as she strolled up to the woman. If something bites you and you die. She swung pow-pow hard against the thing's face, sending her sprawling to the ground. Then it was venomous. Kneeling down beside her, Jinx reached out and gripped her face as she twitched spasmodically on the ground while foam spilled from between her lips. But if you bite it and you die, she said, then it was poisonous. Help me, please, she mumbled through numb lips. I I don't want to die. Mm. Hey, what's your name? Jinx asked. Cassiopeia, she mumbled. Oh yeah, something in there was definitely going wrong. Her lips were turning pale and those veins were turning black. Cass, huh? Jinx replied. Well, Cass, I don't know what turned you into a snake, but uh, it apparently doesn't like that you swallowed some of what passes from my blood. Jinx dragged her up to eye level and stared into Cassiopeia's eyes. She felt a stiffness creeping over her. A dark, insidious magic was trying to root itself in her flesh. It couldn't, though. Her blood was contorting painfully inside of her veins. It was fighting something that was chewing on her bone and muscle and skin and trying to make it hard and unmoving but Shimmer wanted to move. It wanted to twist. You know, Cass, I figured it'd just take you out of the fight or something, Jinx admitted, letting her flop back down. But this is way better. Please. Cassiopeia reached out to clutch at Jinx's ankles. I wonder what it'll do, Jinx said. It made me a monster, but you're already a monster, so maybe it'll make you a human, or maybe it'll make you worse. Maybe it'll just kill you. She decided to ask old Doc Singed when she got back home. He was smart. He knew all kinds of things, sharp things and pokey things, but especially shimmer things. Lowering pow Pow, she nudged Cassiopeia's clutching fingers away with her boot. And my name, by the way, is Jinx, she said. Stands for Jinx. And Jinx stepped over her, leaving Cassiopeia to twitch weakly on the ground as the shimmered blood she'd swallowed when she bit into Jinx's arm seared away at her insides. Jinx had already wasted too much time getting lost, finding Chuck, getting unlost, and then fighting a lady who was half snake. Fat hands and Lux were long gone, or medium gone anyway. There was still time, though, time to play a little game of chase. Stepping into the skiff bay, Jinx took a deep breath of the clean, cold air. The hangar doors were already opened, and she spied Chuck nervously piling things into one of the two remaining skiffs. The missing one confirmed it. Lux was already gone. That was fine. That was part of the plan. The delay wasn't, so she needed to move. Hey, Chuck, you ready to go? He looked up in shock. You're alive? He said, Dully. Of course I'm alive, Chuck, old buddy. Jinx jumped into the aerial skiff. Snake lady back there is having a bad trip, by the way, she continued. Which is funny, because I didn't even know snakes could trip. It was a sleek four-seater, and the seats were fine upholstered hide, because of course they were. The hull was carved from one piece of smooth, warm wood that probably got imported from Mixtel or somewhere else equally absurdly far away, while the Hextech engine at the back was practically growling, feeding into a pair of thruster ports on the right and left sides of the skiff. The last part was pure Piltoven engineering, and it honestly wasn't bad. The steering column was fairly simple, too, and after a few tests, Jinx had the hang of it. The the supplies are packed, and the, the fuel should be at full, Chuck said. Enough for several days, at least. Neat, hop in. Chuck stared at her in disbelief for a moment, then said, Hop in? Oh yeah, aren't you coming? Chink said, jattering to the empty seat. Chuck looked up and around at the manse. Every so often the ancient building shuddered as some part of it collapsed. Most of it would probably stay up, probably. The fires were still burning, though, and smoke was filtering through the house in a dull haze. You know what? Chuck said, looking back at her. What's that? fuck it. And Chuck dropped into the seat beside Jinx, strapped in, and flashed her a nervous grin. Jinx barked out a laugh as she released the internal brake, threw it into gear, and opened up the throttle. As the skiff roared out of the hangar and into the darkness of the Noxian night, Jinx reached into her jacket, pulled out her ham-and-cheese sandwich, and bit into it. In the end, escaping Noxus hadn't been terribly complicated— the signet ring that Katarina had provided saw them hustled through the servants' passageways and up to the east wing, in good time. They had very nearly beaten the servants who had been sent to collect the Arturas there, in fact. Lena and Tolvis looked terrified and not a little shell-shocked from the apparent war being waged around them, but they were in surprisingly good health otherwise. Lena looked like a smaller, if slightly more robust, version of Seraphine, albeit with hair that was fading to a pale rose color rather than bright pink. Tolvis was a thin, pleasant, balding man who had thanked them profusely until Vi had finally and politely asked him to shut the hell up and let her pilot the skiff. As for Lux, she had been forced to keep herself from cutting their throats the moment she laid eyes on them. The memories of what their machine had done and the number of times she'd been forced to watch Jinx die were still fresh in her mind, and a part of her was at least passingly certain that they always would be. She wanted blood in payment for the nightmare she'd been given. But that wasn't any more doable than killing Vi. Lux eyed the angle of the sun carefully as she pushed those thoughts from her weary mind. They were almost back to Piltover and right on time. The fifth day was about halfway done, and their contact in Zaun had been very clear that she had no patience for laggards. An entire day was positively generous by her standards. Looking back over her shoulder... Pat, Lena, and Tolvis, who were huddled uncomfortably in the back seats, Lux stared at the horizon. In the daylight, she could see a shape marring it, and she hid a small smile. Jinx was less than an hour behind them. Their timing for the meet wouldn't have been possible if she hadn't kept up the pressure of the chase, driving Vi forward like a lash. Almost five straight days of flight with minimal rest, if any. Jinx had promised her she could do it, and Lux had believed her, but the how of it was baffling. Nonetheless, she had kept hot on their heels the entire time, forcing Vi to swap places with Lux periodically so she could sleep, and then doing the same for Lux. They made only a handful of stops every day, and only for a few minutes at a time to attend to bodily needs, rest the skiff's engine, and a stretch to prevent cramps, but otherwise everything was done on the move. Almost home, Vi muttered quietly, mostly to herself if Lux was any judge. She looked terrible. They were both exhausted, too. What sleep they had gotten was fitful. Sleeping mid-flight wasn't easy for trained pilots, and neither of them was that. Lux was used to sleeping in uncomfortable places, and she assumed the same was true of Vi, but it hadn't been particularly restful sleep. Are you okay to navigate the chasms? Lux asked. Gotta be, Vi replied. That's not a yes. Vi shook her head, then leaned back and slapped herself across the face hard enough to make Seraphine's parents jump. Lux raised an eyebrow. Better? A little, i said. Will she close the distance before we get to Zahn? Fi pressed her lips to a thin line, then shook her head. No, I don't think so. But it'll be a near thing. Don't know how she's doing it. She's crept up day by day. Must be barely sleeping. Must be. That worried Lux, but there wasn't anything she could do about it. They had both known that once the flight started, it wouldn't stop. Jinx was sure she could push herself for that long, and a little longer, though. "'Not the longest I've gone without sleeping, Melandi, she had said. That much, at least, Lux believed. She didn't like it, but she believed it. "'So close up to us quick-like once we turn off for the sea gates, though,' i continued. "'The wind will change, and I'll have to slow down to get you into the chasms.' "'Won't she have to do the same?' "'Yeah,' I replied. "'But she's got a few hundred pounds less weight than us, and that means more speed.' Better maneuverability, too, even if just by a little and it might be enough. Plus, she's nuts. Lux nodded and leaned back in her seat. She could see Piltover in the distance. It was almost time. Less than an hour later, Vi gave them the heads up. All right, ladies and gents, we're going in. And that means my sister is probably going to be up our asses in about fifteen minutes, so pucker up, knuckle down, and hold on to your guts. She turned, and the skiff jumped as she began moving towards the coast— as she did, she reached out for the transceiver wired into the dash, pulled it out, and held it to her mouth. Seagate Control, this is Enforcer, callsign Atlas, piloting an appropriated Noxian aerial skiff, coming in near seven o'clock with VIPs. I need clearance through zone. Authority code PRANA ECHO, over. 73147, please acknowledge. Vi waited, tense, and Lux counted down the seconds until finally the transceiver crackled to life. Atlas, this is Seagate Control. Authority code acknowledged. You are clear to pass through access four. Breathing out a quiet sigh, Vi brought the mic back to her lips. Control, be advised. We are coming in hot with a bogey on our tail. Do not, I repeat, do not attempt to stop her. It's the loose cannon, and all DNI protocols should be observed. Please acknowledge. It was telling that every organ in the Piltoven body, from the Seagates to the Bridge Controllers, had a full list of protocols for how to deal with Jinx if she was spotted or if she attacked. The primary protocol to be followed above all others was, do not get in her way. The simple fact was that Jinx had a tendency to remove obstacles in her path in the most explosive and punishing manner possible. The more resistance she encountered, the more extreme the damage became, so the Enforcers had actually drafted a set of rules and protocols, stating that if Jinx was spotted, ignore her. Just ignore her. Pretend she's not there. It was the surest and cleanest way to prevent civilian casualties, and thus far, it had worked fairly well. That and, as Vi had mentioned during the flight, Piltover couldn't really afford to lose an entire seagate, and if that seagate was between Jinx and her target... They probably would. I uh, acknowledged Atlas. What, uh, what do we do if she doesn't just go through? Vi sighed again, brought the mic back to her mouth and said, Run. She hung up the mic and put a little more speed on while Lux looked back over her shoulder. Are you two all right? She asked. Tolva Sanktura nodded weakly. Yes, and thank you again. Of course, Lux said. You'll see your daughter again, I promise. That earned a smile from both of them, and Lux had to turn around, settle back into her own seat, and pull her hood down more closely around her head to hide the expression that stretched over her lips. That wouldn't have been good for anyone to see. Vi hadn't been joking. They really had been forced to slow down thanks to the temperature difference affecting the winds on the coast, and more importantly, the wind blowing through the chasm itself. Vi flicked a glance over her shoulder and cursed as they approached the stargate. She's right on her tail now, Vi said sharply. Another Noxian skiff was pulling up behind them at a reckless speed. Unlike Vi, Jinx clearly hadn't slowed down quite as much. Hold on! The sea gates of Piltover were fitted with numerous access tunnels of various sizes to admit smaller vehicles in order to avoid opening them unnecessarily. The tunnel marked Access 4 was wide open, and Vi pulled them in line for it. Normally, they would have slowed down and stopped for tolls and inspections, but in this case, "'Heads down!' Vi roared as they punched into the tunnel. The roar of the engine echoed around them, and moments later it was joined by a second. Good, they hadn't stopped her. It wasn't strictly necessary that Jinx be this hard on them at this point, but it was good insurance. With that said, the accesses were not made to be traveled through at speed, certainly not at the speed that Vi was pulling. The wind force and displacement caused the skiff to jutter violently— and Vi was straining to keep the wheel from bucking and twisting out of her hands. A few torturous and deafening minutes later, they erupted out into the chasms of Zaun, and while the noise level improved, the ride did not. She's still on us, Lux called out, as Vi wrestled the skiff back on course. And wait, she's... evasive maneuvers! Vi jerked the wheel to the side as the familiar sound of Jinx's rotator cannon roared, sending a stream of tracer fire around them forcing them to drop lower and lose speed as the air began to turn dense with the heavy pollutants of the city. That's a little excessive, dear, Lux thought as she shot a look over her shoulder. Someone is having far too much fun, or she's delirious. That's also possible. These things are unarmed, what the fuck was that? Phi barked. I think your sister managed to mount her gun on the nose of the skiff at some point during the flight, Lux replied dryly. How? One can only imagine. Lux strongly suspected that the actual answer to that question was, with a reckless disregard for safety and good sense and a great deal of gusto. She made a mental note to have a word with Jenks about that sort of thing when they got back to the hideout. Putting on another burst of speed, Vi pulled them up out of the murk and into the cleaner, more welcoming air that wasn't trying to tear the skiff apart. Keep an eye on her and let me know when to juke, she ordered. On it! Lux turned in her seat, watched for a moment, then... ''Left!'' Vi jinked left, and a stream of shots went wide of them. ''Left again!'' Lux smiled as she realized what was happening. Jinx was hurting them, so she wasn't delirious after all. ''Shit!'' Vi made a hard turn into one of the branching fissures of the chasm. ''We can't stay in the straightaways or she'll eventually get lucky, so hold on to something because these turns are gonna be tight!'' Nodding, Lux got back into her seat and secured the belt tied across her chest, As she did, she reached into her pocket and settled her hand on the cold mechanism inside. Vi made several sharp turns and managed to lose Jinx and the random hairpins of Zaun. It didn't matter, though. They were in the right place. It couldn't be long now. She just needed to wait for the feeling of... Shit! Vi made a hard turn into one of the branching fissures of the chasm. We can't stay in the straightaways or she'll eventually get lucky. So hold on to something, because these turns are going to be tight! Nodding, Lux got back into her seat and secured the belt tied across her chest. As she did, she reached into her pocket and settled her hand on the cold mechanism inside and hit the button at the top of it, and the pocket watch began ticking as the now familiar sense of deja vu faded. Vi made several sharp turns and managed to lose Jinx and the random hairpins of Zaun. It didn't matter, though. They were in the right place, and Lux counted each tick of the gears by feel alone. Three? Two. One. She braced herself as a pale green light flashed past them, and the skiff rocked violently as the right engine port was destroyed. Lena and Tolvis clung to each other and screamed as the skiff began to spin, but it didn't get a chance to complete a single rotation before another light flashed past on the left side of the skiff, demolishing the other port. Lost thrust, lost power, fuck, I've lost everything, I swore. Hold on! They never got the chance to hold on to anything as a swarm of masked figures on hoverboards rushed them. Pneumatic barks preceded the sounds of punctured wood, and the falling skiff came to a jerking halt as nearly two dozen firelights surrounded them. Their hoverboards humming and groaning with the new weight they carried. Each firelight was gripping a makeshift harpoon gun with the spear buried in the hull of their skiff. Move them, the leader said, nodding towards a shadowed outcropping. Now, this thing isn't getting any lighter. What the hell are you doing? Vi snarled, standing up from the driver's seat. Damn it, Echo, at least stab me in the front if you're going to sell me out. Lux put a hand on Vi's sleeve and pulled her down. Maybe don't antagonize the people who are keeping us from a swim in the gray, she said. Vi huffed, but didn't argue as she settled back into her seat. Sorry, Vi said quietly, then looked back at Lena and Tolvis. To you two, too, th- this wasn't the plan. It's okay. Lena said quietly, you tried. The skiff rocked as it was set down on a hard surface. Everyone out, Echo ordered. His voice was mangled by the vocoder and his mask. All of you. Just do as they say, Vi instructed. Echo has a lot of things, but he isn't a murderer. Someone's got an angle here. They clambered out of the skiff that was only being kept from tipping over by dint of the firelights holding it up once they were out, though. The Zonite crew happily pitched the skiff over the edge of the cliff they were on and down into the gray. Okay, Vi said, crossing her arms and, admirably, not going for her gauntlets. You got us. Now what? Now? A familiar voice answered. We shoot the happy couple. Jinx stepped out of the shadows to join the firelights, and Vi went rigid while Lux winced. She looked significantly worse than Vi. There were heavy bags under her eyes and an unpleasant slur to her words. She definitely hadn't slept much. Curiously, there was also a reedy-looking young Noxian man cowering behind her. That wasn't the deal, Jinx, Eka replied, turning on her. You'll get your revenge, but you owe a debt. Since when do you care about collecting debts for Can little man? Jinx jeered. Lux had to suppress a sigh. That was laying it on a little thick, wasn't it? Since when did you start wearing your dad's jacket? Mecca replied flatly. Jinx bristled for a moment, then held her hands up and stepped back, and Vi scowled at them both. So you're working together for real, then, huh? I'm working for Zaun, Mecca replied, turning back to Vi. Now come on, let's get moving. We want a clock. Pulling on her sleeve, Lux drew Vi's gaze and then shook her head. So long as we're alive, she whispered, there's hope. But right now we're outnumbered, outgunned, and exhausted. This isn't a winning fight. I know, Phi bit back as the firelights hustled them into a square and started moving them through a tunnel. I just. shit. It wasn't supposed to be like this. Lux nodded, but didn't say anything else. If she did, she was worried she might start laughing. They walked for over an hour, and it was agonizing. All Lux wanted to do was be done with the farce and run over to Jinx. She was right there, right within arm's reach. She'd never hated her mask more than at that moment. They were almost done, though. Their route was circuitous, but it led deeper and deeper into Zahn until finally they were moving into a large tunnel that had tracks on it, which looked to have seen recent use, and they weren't alone. Zahnite street toughs started moving along with them, ones with chembrands, Within moments they were led into a large loading bay, and that was where they stopped. Thank you, Echo, my boy, that will be all, a strong, cultured voice said from the far end of the room. The speaker stepped forward from between a brace of heavily armed and augmented zonites that towered at least a head over her, if not more, and yet every inch of her exuded the kind of strength and confidence that made them seem small. She wore a sharp coal vest over a wine-colored blouse and clean white slacks, with a white tie tied at her neck. Over all of that was a pale white and silver jacket that matched the ink and iron shade of her hair. Most notable, though, was her left arm. It was a chemtech augment, not an unusual sight in Zahn, but it stood out by dint of its sheer refinement. It had a delicate, almost porcelain look to it and was divided into panels with the deep, rosy glow of chem-powered musculature beneath. Her rebreather that covered her face from nose to jaw was done in a similar style. Vi clenched her jaw and nodded. Glask. Hello, donk, Renata Glask replied with an air of amusement. I'd ask how you are, but I doubt I'd be able to hear a response through all that pill boot leather in your mouth, so let's count to the quick. She snapped her fingers, and her bruisers moved in at the same moment that the firelights parted for them. They grabbed Lena and Tolvis by the arms and hauled them away, and Vi moved with a shout but stopped as a deafening gunshot tore a chunk out of the ground at her feet. Ah-ah-ah! smiled as she moved up beside Glask. No moving, sis. You gotta wait your turn. So that's it, huh? You finally sold out to the chem barons? run out a fucking Glask, of all people? Vy spat, turning on Jinx. Wonderful, isn't it? Glask answered for her. I always thought she was wasting her time and talents on meaningless violence, but now, now we're getting somewhere. Reminds me of her father, actually. Now that was a real son of Zong. "'Glask's gangers threw Lena and Tolvis to their knees in front of her, "'and they stared up at her in terror. "'You two, what a shame you had to go and defense to Piltover. "'I've been waiting to address that little oversight for some time.' "'Glask gestured for them to be taken away, "'and they were hauled back to their feet and dragged down a tunnel. "'So what now?' Vi asked flatly. "'Gonna kill us?' "'No, dear little puppy dog, I'm not.' Blask replied, "'One day I assure you I will choke your whole city and laugh as they suffocate on the fumes we breathe for fun. But those two participated in an attack on Zan, and for that they will be dealt with. You, on the other hand, your death would bring war down on us, and that would cut into my profits, so you are free to go.' "'Just like that?' i asked with a bitter laugh. "'Just like that.' "'Glask replied smugly. "'But remember, Violet Kiriman, "'that you are not welcome in the lanes and the fissures. "'You are not one of us any longer. "'So consider that the next time you want to step into Zon.' "'Something in Vi's posture crumpled under those words, "'and Lux watched it die inside of her. "'It was satisfying. "'Eventually, though, she stood straighter and asked, "'What about—' "'Your little spy?' "'Glask asked.' and Vine jolted. Lux had to remember to act the part, too, and she straightened out in response and pulled her hood down. I'm not stupid enough to kill a Damasian operative, Miss Kiram, she's free to go as well, provided she keeps her nose out of things, which should be easy, considering how her people keep them in the air. How did you know? Lux asked. You're good, Missy, I'll grant you that, Clask replied. But everything and everyone is for sale, people and secrets alike. She turned to her guards and made a shooing gesture. See them to the top side and— Wait. Jinx stepped past Renata and through the guards. She walked past Lux, and to her credit, there was only the barest hesitation. Lux could see the want in her tired, springberry eyes, though Lux wanted all of this to be over just as much as she did. Then it was past— and Jinx was standing in front of her sister. She was looking up into Vi's face, and her eyes were moving slowly to and fro as if she were memorizing the shape. It doesn't have to be like this, Pow Pow, Vi said quietly. My name, she said, looking back at her sister, is Jinx. But I'm not a Jinx. Say hi to Hat Lady and all your other friends across the river for me. And then she was turning on her heel and walking away. Take them away, Glask ordered. The walk back to Piltover was long and quiet. Renata Glask was a woman who enjoyed her life, even the onerous aspects of it. Life wasn't meant to be all decadence and opulence, after all. A woman must have a purpose, drive, or at the very least a hobby. For her, it was working towards the ultimate goal of burning an entire city run by vacuous oligarchs to the ground and then selling their corpses as mulch. It was the little things that made life worth living, after all. And yet, even seeing Jinx, the so-called loose cannon, work, she couldn't put a finger on what her drive was. How did a manic terrorist manage to turncoat a Demacian operative? Where had she gotten the means? For whatever lies she'd told to sell the performance in front of that trainer, Vi— The truth was that Renata had, for once, been unable to buy something, that being the loyalty of any Demacian agent of real value. Zealots were a real bitch to turn. So how? Reaching up to her mask, she pulled it free with a soft hiss, turned to Jinx as they stepped into an elevator, and said in Gutlau, If I'm being honest, I'm surprised that all actually worked. Jinx aimed that rictus grin at her. Of course it worked was Blondie's plan, after all. Blondie's perfect. You really married her? Renata asked. Yeah. Jinx's face went softer, and Renata wasn't sure what to make of that look. And she married me. That makes me the luckiest gal on Rintera, you know? Renata made a quiet grunt of assent as the elevator came to a liquid, smooth stop at the upper level of her penthouse. This wasn't the first time she'd been grateful for the foresight she'd had to build that elevator. The warehouses beneath her home had proven to be useful for more than just conducting her more legitimate businesses. The Oxturas are mine, as we agreed, Renata said as she stepped out into the hall. I'm sure I can convince them to divulge information on the woman who commissioned that machine. As promised, once I've done so, the information will be yours at no charge. Neat. Jinx followed her out. Now I'm going to go home and pass out. Let me know when you've peeled their onions, yeah?' "'I'll do that,' Renata replied dryly. As Jinx trotted off, Renata couldn't help but reflect on how unusually competent she was. Nothing about her behavior suggested that level of capability, but it was like her body and mind were two distinct entities. The body was a weapon, and the mind, well, there were fewer more brilliant minds in the whole of Zahn, and that made Jinx's good grace as a valued commodity— Moreover, Camille didn't have a habit of leaving loose ends, so collecting these two was a rare opportunity, one so rare that she had agreed to bankroll Jinx's insane little venture into Noxus on the off chance it succeeded. And oh, how it had succeeded. This investment had paid dividends beyond the dreams of avarice. Better yet, with the Arcturus in her custody, that would bring another powerful pawn under her control. And then there was the final matter to handle her own little side venture to ensure that she would profit even if Jinx had failed. Renata made her way to her conference chamber, stepped inside, and locked the doors. Fitting her mask back to her face, she did have a certain image to maintain. Glask took a seat at the head of the table and tapped away at the brass console in front of her before reclining back and crossing her legs to wait. She did not have to wait long. The Hextech imaging orb at the center of the table flickered to life with a pale, azure glow, and a moment later a figure stepped into view. The image projected by the orb wasn't full size, but despite that, he still managed to project a grim, commanding gravitas with his long, dark cloak, tailored ebony tunic, and austere, patrician features. She could appreciate that. "'Our deal is complete and in spades,' Renata said. "'Can I assume you will live up to your end of the bargain "'and begin pulling Noxian interests out of Piltover, Grand General?' "'Of course, Baroness,' Swain replied smoothly. "'With the disastrous events of the Manse Coteau. "'the Hand of Guile faces censure, and my will ascends.' My compliments to your loose cannon, by the by. She did far more damage than even I predicted. It's been centuries since the Black Rose has been caught with her panties round her ankles like this. Which proves only that even you do not know what she and Zon itself is capable of, Renata replied. Indeed, and yet, I do know some bits of her. Faces in the flames. It was all her fault. Swain's voice turned vacant for a moment before sharpening as he fixed his eyes on her. "'I'm no fool, though, Glask, and I know the smell of war as it rises.' "'Tiltover coos over my perfumes while Zahn still struggles to breathe. For too many years they have bought progress with the blood of my people because they were too cheap to pay for it themselves. This war was always rising, General. It was inevitable.' Perhaps, but who will lead this war? You? Swain asked. I'm an opportunist, not a demagogue. And certainly not a symbol to rally behind, Glask said quietly. But that does not mean you lack such a symbol, Swain replied. Oh, and speaking of symbols... I'm not reimbursing you for that statue, Swain. Oh, not at all. Swain bared his teeth in a grin. I'll be appropriately furious about it in public, but truthfully, I always hated the damn thing. The sculptor made my nose look like the immortal bastion itself as he left Beatrice out. I should have had him hanged. The raven at his shoulder let out a sharp caw in response, and Renata chuckled. He was silent for a moment, and when he spoke again it was with a darker, more serious tone. All the world may fall to darkness, but Noxus will remain. So I understand your feelings about Zaun. If it comes to it... Piltover is mine, and it will fall to Zaun, not Noxus, Grand General. Glask cut through. But your support would not go amiss. I make no promises, Glask, Swain replied. We will win, Renata countered. It will behoove you to be on our side. Perhaps, but remember that sitting on a throne doesn't make you a ruler. It only means you have an ass. Swain crossed his arms and smiled faintly. Victory is but the first step, Baroness. But if you leverage that symbol of yours properly, then I do foresee a profitable future for us. Renata Glask reached beneath the table and pulled out a glass. Along with a half-full bottle of Noxian spice liquor, poured herself a generous measure, and then held it up to Swain. Two symbols, and a profitable future, then, Glask said. Swain raised a glass of wine that he lifted from somewhere out of sight and nodded. Two symbols, he said, and our future. The text of this story is available on AO3. Music by Dot Matrix. If you would like me to record a story, voiceover, a character, get in touch using the contact information available on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as a link to my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.